is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thank you so very much for tuning in to my show, America Can We Talk, and welcome to the first five. Before I do the first five, I actually want to thank the sponsor for our show at the start of the show. I think I'm going to start doing this at the beginning of the show. GC Works is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Thank you to my sponsor. Couldn't do it without you. Okay, I want to hit the first five tonight, and this is actually going to end up being the first five in the next segment, too, because I want to talk with you about a story that's probably the most consequential story that's come out in 2017 related to the Obama administration and to Hillary Clinton. And that says a lot because there are a lot of stories. But this story is now breaking more and more. And I want to talk, it ties in with Russia and ties in with what was going on during the Obama years, and especially when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, with respect to Russia. And this has a profound consequence to America and the rule of law. Now, you know, I know that all of us are tired of the endless kind of sensational headlines, biggest news, shocking news, and all that kind of stuff. And we're tired of it. And on this show, I never want to be sensationalist or extreme. I'm always serious and substantive talking about America. But this is among the most amazingly important stories to understand and not to just brush off as well as probably two sides to every story or it's probably not as bad as people say or this is just the attempt of the uh, right wing to get after uh, the uh, Clintons because of this, the whole Russia thing that the FBI is doing. So I'm just going to tell you what has been going on and what emerged recently. And this is on, by the way, the Facebook page for America Can We Talk. Great Facebook page, a lot of substantive conversation. And I want to tell you what's going on there. Most of you know that during the Obama years, that when President uh, Obama was president and Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, that the United States approved a controversial deal, this is in 2010, giving Moscow control of a large swath of American uranium. Essentially, an, an entity in Washington, we're going to talk about in detail, um, approved the Russian nuclear industry officials uh, getting essentially a 20, control over 20% of America's uranium assets. America's uranium assets. What has come to light in the last weeks and was written up in the Hill and now many other places is this. The Obama administration approved that controversial deal at a time in the middle of the an investigation by the FBI, which had already gathered substantial evidence that Russian nuclear industry officials were engaged in America, on American soil, and in bribery, kickbacks, extortion, and money laundering, desired to grow, you know, designed to grow Vladimir Putin's atomic energy business inside the United States. They had an eyewitness account of what was occurring. They had an undercover person working, gathering information, and all of this was known known by the FBI and people in the uh, national security apparatus that there was a serious investigation ongoing in which they already had absolutely clear proof that Russian agents in America were engaged in bribery, kickbacks, extortion, and money laundering, and that investigation was occurring, but 
that did not it did not stop Hillary Clinton and the Obama administration from okaying this deal, which gave Russia control over 20 percent of America's uranium assets. And at a time when officials related to this Uranium One deal, the company was Uranium One that Russia was able to get control over. At a time, people connected to the Uranium One deal had had donated money to the Clinton Foundation in the roughly in the range of $145 million, $145 million going to Hillary, apparently in exchange for this deal that permitted Russia to get control of America's uranium assets. And on top of that, on top of that, this is all around the same time that Bill Clinton, Hillary's husband, is over in Russia giving a speech uh, for and being compensated half a million dollars. And the the consequence of this, because, you know, this is one of those stories where there are a lot of players involved, a lot of tangles to the story, and, and people can think, well, I'm just, this is a little bit too complicated for me. I'm going to sit back. I'm not going to follow this one. Folks, I cannot urge you strongly enough to follow this story. I'm going to lay out the pieces in very uh, precise, simple, specific, outlined form for you to understand this. But among the important consequences of this is, this is apparently, I mean, the many pieces you'll hear about as we, as we continue talking about, this is the Obama administration trying very hard to facilitate Hillary Clinton's, you know, getting massive amounts of money from the Russians and Russian-affiliated people into the Clinton Foundation. And um, at the same time, hiding that, the entire investigation, hiding it from Congress. Nobody in Congress knew this was ongoing. This was hidden from the Congress. This is, this is a, you know, just complete egregious disruption, destruction of the rule of law. The sense of the sense that you had the Democrats running the country because they ran the White House and they ran the, the FBI and the Department of Justice and they were simply not going to comply with the rule of law at all. Honestly, folks, it's the most blockbuster story of this season. We can back from this break. I'm going to explain it to you, break it down in very simple pieces, and I strongly urge you to learn how important this is and tell your friends because this story cannot go away. It's going to take pressure from constituents on the GOP in Washington to inf- to d- go after this story. Debbie George asked, American Can We Talk. Come right back. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? Hello there, Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm going to continue my first five on the subject of this blockbuster story that came out this week. And it is so important to recognize just because it's complicated, like so many scandals are related to the Clintons, doesn't mean we should brush it aside or just decide we can't follow it. Because it's really important to understand what happened. Here are some basics. Russia started doing business in America at least since 2009. In fact, I think the later court documents now available show 2004. But they sent a man over to America named Vadim Mikarin. And we're just going to say, and I'm not saying correctly, M-I-K-E-R-I-N. 
He was in business in Bethesda, Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C., as part of the Russian government-affiliated company called Rosatom, which is a Russian government corporation. And he, this guy Mikarin, is in Bethesda, Maryland, working for the American subsidiary called Tenem. We're just going to call it Rosatom, the big-picture company in Russia. Okay, so this guy, Mikarin, is in Washington, or working right outside of Washington, actively engaging in sales of Russian uranium— to U.S. purchasers, he's you know knee deep, neck deep in bribery, kickbacks, money laundering, extortion. He is selling Russian uranium to American purchasers, uh, taking bribes, taking kickbacks. Money's going offshore in all sorts of crazy places. And the FBI uh, came to know about this. The FBI, FBI documents now available show the FBI was investigating Mikarin and Rosatom, these two companies, and had evidence of these crimes early on in the first term of the Obama administration, 2009. So Mikarin already making a lot of money off of bribery and extortion in America. And I can tell you some examples of that, but I want to be sure to hit the high points because his story is just is just so consequential. And I want to make sure I hit the big points. But so Mikarin decides to hire a lobbyist who from whom he can he, he get help on Washington and also extort money from him. So Mikarin hires an American businessman to be his lobbyist. This lobbyist American citizen soon figures out there's something really, really wrong with what Mikarin is doing. So he goes to the FBI. This American businessman hired by the Russian, you know, um, extortioner goes to the FBI, tells them what's going on, and the FBI agrees that this guy can continue working for Mikarin undercover, expose, figure out what Mikarin is doing, and he was even authorized to, as part of his participation in this undercover role, to accept money, extortion money, bribery money from this guy, um, or, I mean, to pay it, all because the notion is he was getting him into into the inner circle of Mikarin. So this lo- this lobbyist guy whose name we still don't know. He was designated by the FBI as Confidential Source 1, or CS1. So CS1's been hired as a lobbyist from whom he can extort kickbacks and help him with the Russians' nuclear you know, energy expansion in the United States. So, in, so this is starting in 2009. In March of 2010, Hillary and Obama hit the reset button with Putin, and shortly after that, Bill Clinton goes over and get to make a speech in Russia, gets a 500000 which is, in other words, half a million dollar uh, speaking fee. And the same time, same time frame as this is occurring, the um, people affiliated with this uh, Russian deal, the Rosatom deal, donate in, in, in excess of $145 million. All these people related to the Uranium One deal. And again, Uranium One's a company, owns 20% of America's uh, uranium assets. Uranium being, I'm sure you know this, but being the, the basic unit, the basic element needed to create nuclear weapons. It's not like giving away candy. It is Uranium is a substance used certainly for nuclear energy, but also for nuclear weapons. So Russia, an enemy of our country, is plying and working at Hillary Clinton, trying to get at uh, the access to America's uranium supply. So CS1, this this unknown American businessman, tells the FBI that in addition to the Russian government racketeering and bribery in the, in the U.S. nuclear energy industry, he's also that also Russian nuclear officials are trying to ingratiate themselves with the Clintons. There's a whole other story I'll get to probably after our 630 guest is on that is called this, uh, this investigation that was on ongoing um, at the time, and it involves the um, a, a, a 
a thing called ghost stories, and then 10 Russian ghost story spies were arrested. I'll tell you that story later. But So this is ongoing, and just so you know why this is so important, in America, we get one-fifth of our energy from nuclear energy, one-fifth of our energy from nuclear energy, but only, but America only produces a fifth of the uranium it needs. So we're very careful about releasing control of our uranium assets to other people because we need our uranium for our own nuclear energy industry. But uh, despite all of this, uh, in October of 2010, the Obama administration um, under Hillary Clinton and a group called CFIUS, I'm only going to say it once, it's the Committee on Foreign Investments in the U.S. The point is it's such an important thing to permit an outside country to get access to our uranium supplies. There's a process you have to go through. You have to go through this group. Hillary's on the team. There are a bunch of other people in Washington on the team. This Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S. That committee is required to take only 75, to require to take at least 75 days to investigate who's wanting to buy it, what is it for, but they rushed the rush request through and in 42 days I think it was went ahead and and, uh, approved this Russian purchase of assets into uranium one which gave Russia control over 20 percent of America's uranium assets as I mentioned earlier this um, uh, at this point the FBI is already gathering evidence of Russian corruption but FBI kept this all to itself No conversation with people on the Hill. They kept all this undercover. They're investigating uh, Hillary, and they're investigating the Russians bribing people, and this massive racketeering problem. And Hillary goes ahead and gives them, you know, uh, goes ahead ahead and votes with the folks. It was unanimous to give Russia control of 20% of our uranium assets. And the... um, At the same time, her husband's making money. She's making money getting speeches. So... What is, among the many things that matter so much about this story is who the players are who involved were involved in this. Robert Mueller, you not recognize that name from now because Robert Mueller is now in charge of investigating the dead-end, non-existent story of Donald Trump allegedly having some Russian uh, impact on, you know, in collusion with the Russians, impact on the election. Investigation is ongoing, nothing there, but Mueller's in charge of this. Well, Mueller was in charge of the whole FBI, at the time this Russian investigation was occurring, that they were realizing Russia was in U.S. soil and doing what I've been describing. So Mueller had to know this was happening. Uh, Andrew McCabe, current, currently assistant FBI director, oh, he was assistant FBI director appointed by Obama, was in charge of investigating these charges by the FBI's own informant, McCabe and Rosenstein, the former U.S. attorney from Maryland, and presently the deputy attorney general, that who they were both overseeing the Mueller investigation. So McCabe and Rosenstein knew all about this, and that did not bring this story forward um, during the time that Hillary's secretary of state, she's getting money to the Clinton Foundation, she's giving Russia control of uranium assets in America. And now I want to turn and just tell you what this ghost thing was. So, there, I mean, there's so many pieces. I actually want to hit this next point. So the guy who was giving them all the information, CS1, we don't know his name, but he has a lawyer now, Victoria Townsling, I think it is. So he wants to come and testify in Congress. He wants to tell Congress what he learned, what the Russians were doing, what he learned being inside the Russian deal. But he signed an agreement under the Obama administration that he would not ever disclose what he learned, even though he's he's the informant. And by the way, this guy, Mikran, has been arrested. It's a whole other story I'll tell you in a moment. But 
he is not permitted to testify in Congress because of this deal. In fact, he's testified, he's said through his lawyer that uh, Loretta Lynch told him if he ever testified, if he ever told what he learned about the Clinton uh, Russia entanglement, the Obama Russia entanglement, that he'd be prosecuted. So the Republicans in Washington are now saying, wait a minute, that's not legal. We, the, the GOP and the Senate, particularly in Senate Gra- Senator Grassley, saying you need to come forward and testify and tell us what you knew. What, what was this whole deal about? But um, he is, cannot do it until he gets the uh, permission from the Department of Justice to, for them to drop this uh, confidentiality agreement he signed. He actually described it as a, a non-disclosure agreement, which is very bizarre in this whole world. But that's what, but so we're waiting for Jeff Sessions, who needs to step forward and do that. So that was one thing. The other thing that's huge about this is, so as of May of 2010, the FBI knew that this guy, Meekrin, was in Washington. He'd been paying bribes. I mean, the stories are just creepy, you know, extortion and bribery and all this. And they had enough evidence to bring charges against him. They had that in May of 2010. They didn't charge him with anything until 2014, until Obama's second term, until after the uh, Hillary's dumping Secretary of State. It's like the whole apparatus in Washington surrounded and coddled and protected Obama and Hillary. They didn't even bring charges. And when they did bring charges, there was a very serious offense, which he could have been charged with, a, a much higher level penalty uh, charge under federal law. But they didn't do that. They charged him. It's kind of like charging him with jaywalking when he could have been charged with murder. I mean, a guy got a, a very minor charge against him and uh, ended up you know, paying some fine and, and on his way and he's gone. We're going to go to a guest in this next segment. I, I love, I'm excited about her, Rebecca Friedrich. She's got a great story about standing up against unions. But after she's on, I'm going to go back and tell you the ghost story. Don't you just got to know what this story is? Fabulous, st- important story. Debbie George Jazz, America We Talk, come right back. Our nation faces a choice the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. 
along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There is a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. We have a great guest joining us. I had actually a great pleasure of meeting this guest um, at a conference recently. But we have on the line tonight Rebecca Friedrichs. And she is a, a um, just a powerhouse of a person. But the reason I wanted to have her talk to you tonight and talk to us tonight is because she was the plaintiff in a lawsuit. She's a public was a public school teacher in California and is the plaintiff in a lawsuit that is uh, was designed to challenge the power of the California Public Teachers Unions. So, Rebecca, do we have you online? Hello there. Hi there, and welcome. I'm so glad you've joined us again. If you're just tuning in, we have Rebecca Friedrichs online, and she's a California was a California public school teacher plaintiff in a litigation against the California Teachers Union, and it made it all the way to the Supreme Court. So, just start if you would, Rebecca, by telling us why did you sue the teachers unions in California? Well, I sued the teachers unions not only in California, California Teachers Association, but also the National Education Association. And the reason I did that was because even when I served as a union leader on the executive board within my own local union, I was totally voiceless. And my California teacher colleagues and I were bullied and shunned if we dared to question union think at the state and national levels. Let me tell your listeners a story. 
as a, a leader, I went to a CTA, Annual Leadership Conference, and it was around 2009. And uh, during a Q&A session, there were about 300 teachers in the room. Leaders from the national and state asked us some questions, and one California teacher had the guts to stand up and say, you know, uh, as my uh, representative for my colleagues, we'd like to know how we can have a voice about the way you're spending our money on politics. We're really uncomfortable with this one-sided politics. We don't understand why we have to fund this. The union leaders ganged up on this lady on stage and told all of us by yelling at her that the union way is the only way to think. Their politics are always right. If you don't agree with union politics, you are basically a bigot. They did not use the word bigot, but that was the feeling we all had. And about 300 teachers in this room were all stunned and bullied into silence. That's how you're treated when you're a union leader in the California Teachers Association. Let me just jump in and ask. I'm going to guess that when you speak of the way they spent money politically, pretty much the California teachers unions and other public school unions tend to give their money to to uh, liberal candidates, Democrat candidates, because they because they like their left wing politics. Is that right? Oh yeah, that's exactly right. The money goes to um, Democrat candidates who will support teacher union agenda. And um, the teachers' unions are, have the exact same talking points as these, um, the Democrats that are leaning far to the left. And so if you're not comfortable with that, too bad. You have to fund it anyway. So you have to, pay, you have to be a member of the union to teach in these public schools, and you have to pay dues, and you cannot have any voice in how your dues money is spent politically. Is that right? Well, that's sort of right. So the unions would tell you, um, no, 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 she doesn't have to be a member. No one has to be a member. Here's the truth. You don't have to be, be a quote-unquote member and pay their, quote, dues. But you have to accept their representation and pay their fees. And the difference between dues and fees is not very much money. For example, my husband right now is what's called an agency fee payer. That's an, um, a non-member who does not wish to cover the union's overt politics. He pays $1,200 a year out of his paycheck for their representation that he does not want. And when you become a fee payer, so you opt out, you are given no voice, and no vote in collective bargaining, even though you're paying 100% of the collective bargaining fees. So you don't get to vote for any of these people who are supposedly representing you. And then they punish you, take away your liability insurance, they bully you, they, you know, silence you, they make you feel uncomfortable, you're out of the clique. So, <laughs> so it, it truly, it really feels like a middle school clique. So um, you really don't have any options. So you went ahead and sued the uh, several, a series of unions, the California Teachers Union, the National Education Association. I know your case made it all the way to the Supreme Court, but what, was the, what were the remedies you were seeking? What did you want the court to rule? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we, were, we had a very simple desire. We were not seeking any kind of damages. Not, we didn't want any money, anything like that. We just wanted freedom. We were asking for three things. We argued teachers should be able to decide for ourselves without fear or coercion, whether or not to fund or join a union. Pretty simple. So we were seeking choice. We just wanted choice. Number two, we were asking, can we please 
opt into these unions instead of opting out, instead of being forced into their representation and then having to, you know, jump through a million hoops to try to figure out how to get out and get bullied in the whole thing. How about they convince us that they're great, so we actually want to join them and we opt in. Our third um, desire was right now the taxpayers are paying for the collection of dues for unions through automatic paycheck deductions. So these uh, unions that are 501c organizations, they pay no taxes on all of these dues that they collect around the country, billions in dues. Um, they have the taxpayers collecting their dues for them. We don't think that's right. So we were asking uh, for, that the unions have to uh, collect their own dues. It's that simple. Well, that seems <laughs> that yeah. seems very reasonable. Sure. Now, I know it was an interesting circumstance. So your your uh, case, your particular case, and you and um, other plaintiffs' case, ended up at the Supreme Court, and you had the sense after oral argument that you might have um, you might have convinced the court. You might have gotten a five four ruling in your favor, and then uh, the death of the untimely and surprising death of Justice Scalia intervened. And so, what happened to the case once you realized that Scalia wasn't going to be part of the vote on it? Yeah, oh, that was the most devastating day when we, you know, discovered that Justice Scalia, not only devastating for Justice Scalia's family and our country, but also for our case. So, yes, on the day of oral arguments, everyone, even the unions, knew that our side had won the arguments that day. Um, the the unions, uh, they had their attorney there. The state of California had intervened on behalf of the unions, so there was an attorney there for the state of California against us. And then the Obama administration intervened on behalf of the unions against 10 little teachers and all of the children across the country who just want to be protected. Um, and so we, the, the uh, attorney for the state of California actually conceded to our argument, and Justice Scalia stated our argument from the bench, which was basically, um, in the public sector, collective bargaining is always political because everything you're bargaining for is um, going to be paid for by uh, public dollars, taxpayer dollars. So it's all political. Well, they conceded to our argument. Yes, Your Honor, we agree with that. And so we all knew that we were, we were poised to win with a five-to-four decision. And then Justice Scalia died. So his death was devastating to our case. We ended up receiving a four-to-four tied decision, which took our case down to the lower courts, which was the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which had to rule against us because they couldn't rule against a Supreme Court precedent. And our case was trying to overturn a Supreme Court precedent. So as soon as we had that four-to-four decision, we lost the case. Um, but we haven't lost hope. We're still fighting out there. I love that. And I do want to turn, we just have a, a minute left here, but I, and I do want to turn about the Jan, to the Janus case, which I know you're aware of and have you tell our listeners about that, but just realizing you're speaking. So you're at the Supreme Court and the state of California is using tax dollars to take the side of the union against you. The yeah. Obama administration is using tax dollars, paying their lawyers to to using tax dollars to fight against you. Yes. And, I, I mean, even your own union is using their money, which comes from dues, yes. to fight against you. That, that is that's, right. that's so egregious. I mean, that's just all by itself that's so egregious. Okay, exactly. very quickly with a minute left. Can you tell us there's another case now heading its way? We hope the Supreme Court, I guess it, it, they did, they are going to hear this case, the Janus case. And so yes. what was that all about? If you can. Yes. 
so it's Janice versus AFSCME. It's out of the state of Illinois. Mark Janice is a um, an employee, a government employee. He's asking for the same thing I was asking for. He believes all workers should be able to decide for ourselves without fear or coercion whether or not to fund or join these unions. So if he wins, his case should be heard. It's been accepted. Should be heard this winter. Decision should come down by June 2018. If he wins the entire country will become right to work in the public sector. So everyone would have a real choice whether or not to join or fund unions. Man, that has got to be scary to Democrats. Honest to goodness, got to be scary because so much of their power comes from the control unions place over people. So we, uh, we do have like uh, 30 seconds here left. I know you work for SPN right now. Can you tell our listeners what that is? Sure. A state policy network is sort of an umbrella organization over all of the free market think tanks across the country. And state policy network's been a huge um, they've just come along and put their arm around me and said thank you for standing up for free market solutions, standing up for teachers and parents and kids out there who've been voiceless for over 50 years. So I just serve as a fellow with them, and, and I go out and try to make the voices of real parents and teachers heard within education policy across the country. Rebecca Friedrichs, I cannot thank you enough. Thanks for so much. for so fun to talk to you. Thank you for calling in and, and let them have it. Thanks thank for calling you. in. <laughs> Okay, folks, we'll be right back after the break. Thanks so much. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection. 
from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Okay, that woman who was just on with us this past segment, Rebecca Friedrichs, I met her at this uh, event recently. And honestly, you know, it's kind of like other guests I've had on the show where I talk about, you know, I talk about America in the show all the time and about the important founding notion that we're founded on individual liberty and that there always be people since the beginning of time who will be happy to control more and more of your life if you will just let them. And that was true last week when we spoke to people who were fighting the EPA and trying to keep federal government bureaucracy from just getting into every every nook and cranny of your life. It's true of people like Rebecca Friedrichs who just, you know, could have gotten frustrated as a teacher and just dropped out and done something else. But she took on this this she took on the notion and she, we didn't get to go in as much detail as, as we could have. But she made the argument, the Supreme Court, that her being required to pay dues to her union that turns around and uses those dues to support political candidates and campaigns and causes that she she strongly disagrees with. That's a violation of her First Amendment rights. It was a great argument. I believe it was a winning argument. And this is but, you know, to to hold on to liberty in America, it takes standing up. And that's a lot of the things we'll hit on tonight involve other stories. In fact, we're being talking next hour briefly with a gentleman who's also helping individual workers stand up against unions where you just simply lose your right to be an individual and live your life as you choose. You are just controlled by the union. He has a different story and we'll have him on the second hour. But I want to go back or what we were talking about today when we got started to our first five tonight, which turned out to be our first uh, half an hour for and this is this breaking story. And if you're just tuning in, I just want to give you a summary of what we were talking about. Over this last week, it has become known in America that during the first and second terms of the Obama administration, there was an ongoing investigation of, Amer- of Russians in America engaged in actual 
attempts. They, they were selling Russian uranium to American purchasers. They were engaged in bribery, racketeering, money laundering, corruption, and, this, and, and kickbacks. And this investigation has been going on at least since 2009. And yet, even though Obama's president, Hillary's ahead of the State Department, and they are dealing with an effort by the Russians to uh, gain access, which they succeeded in doing, gaining control over 20% of America's uranium assets, and no one in the FBI, no one in the Department of Justice told anyone. And these are the same people now allegedly in a high-minded, totally principled investigation into Donald Trump and this non-existent dead-end story that's gone nowhere that somehow Trump colluded with the Russians, which leads me to what I want a couple more points that are vital to understand about this story. I, because it's still true at this point. If you ask the average person in the street, wasn't Russia somehow involved in the last election? You know, you're going to hear from most people, oh, yeah, yeah, he colluded with, with Trump. I mean, Trump colluded with the Russians somehow. This story was concocted and created by Hillary Clinton and the Democrats after she received the shock of her life when she lost the presidential election. This entire story of Trump and collusion and the whole, you know, geofusion group, I can't remember, yeah, GPS fusion group and the, the dossier that turned out to be just a hoax, this entire Trump you know, accusation about Trump and Russia was concocted by the American left to divert attention from what Hillary and her people and the Obama people have been up to for eight years. So in addition to the fact, to be really clear what Hillary was up to, it appears from the documents we now have, documents that were released, people now speaking to the media, the overwhelming evidence suggests that Hillary and Bill Clinton, who are just consumed with making money, Greed colluded with the Russians, handed them the right to one-fifth of America's uranium reserves in exchange for cash paid to the Clinton Foundation, $145 million of cash from the Uranium One people, and a half-million-dollar check or payment directly to Bill Clinton for one speech. And by the way, that speech he went and made, the group he was speaking to was affiliated with the Russian government. And after that group, that event, they encouraged the people putting on the event, encouraged those in attendance to participate in, to buy shares in, to invest in Uranium One. So this is a, this is the level of collusion and nastiness going on. And so when the uranium when the entire deal went down, the election happened, Hillary loses. All of a sudden, America is hearing all about this crazy Russian story, and now all the people who kept silent during the Obama administration and right in the middle of it, Mueller, McCabe, Rosenstein, these three people, fully aware and never told Congress about it. And yet they're part of this investigation of Trump. And you know what else is interesting? I don't want to get off on the Trump dossier too much, except to say that the guy who allegedly wrote it, this Christopher Steele, this guy who is the, uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, who has now said he wrote this Trump dossier, which is just a, a, you know, a fairy tale accusation against Trump. Nothing. I mean, just a complete hoax thing. He has refused a congressional de- um, demand to testify about who paid him 
to do the investigation. And this GPS fusion organization is just a smear campaign outfit. They exist to smear people. So they were hired to smear Trump, and they came up with this crazy dossier story, and Hillary and her ilk are all behind this. And so, folks, the, the, the importance of the story cannot be overstated. The other thing that, that is uh, woven into this, and I want, you'll hear more people mentioning it, has to do with what they're now calling the ghost story, so the Operation Ghost Story, and it really matters. So all the way back in 2010 again, when the FBI is already looking into this Russian guy, they know he's here, they know he's committing bribery and extortion and, and he's corrupt. The, there was also investigation going on by the FBI, which they dubbed, they named Operation Ghost Story, and it involved 10 Russian spies living somewhere in the corridor between Boston, uh, Washington, and New York. So there's, you know, didn't set the right order, but, you know, that corridor of the East Coast, Russian spies living in America under assumed names, assumed identities, having happy little American-sounding jobs, American-sounding lives, and they were really Russian spies. In fact, the name Ghost Stories came because one of the central players in this is a woman who stole the identity of a baby who died when it was like three months old or three weeks old uh, back in 1963, stole that identity and claimed that identity for herself. So the, the FBI is looking into this, uh, this uh, team that is all about, um, they're trying essentially to get into a, a they're deep cover Russian agents trying to get into the American government. And a lot of communications the FBI was picking up was indicating that this group is getting closer and closer to closer to someone in the Obama cabinet. And all of the indications were that someone was Hillary Clinton. So the very day before Bill Clinton goes off to give a half million dollar speech in Russia, the very day before Russia, I mean, the, these 10 spies were arrested. This is in June of 2010. The FBI cracked down on them. They were actually too worried that this, they were trying to you know, study this spy network and see what they're up to, check and figure out what they're up to. But they got so close to the, um, to the cabinet, so close to our government that the FBI had to shut it down. They couldn't continue to just spy on these spies, but they had to shut them down. So they were arrested in June of 2010. This is the day before. So this is a, a, a you know, going to be a stain on Hillary because you've got these 10 spies from Russia clearly trying to get at Hillary Clinton and indicating through their communications, we're getting close, we're getting close, we're getting into the Hillary Clinton inner circle. So they get arrested. Hillary does not want this to have, you know, on her record, some collu- some anything related to the Russians. So these 10 spies, the Obama administration, in record time, in less than two weeks, sent those spies back to Russia in exchange for four people that they were that Russia released to America. This was a face-saving for Hillary. Get these people out of here before anyone figures out what they were doing because Hillary is the perfect kind of public official for Russian spies to be getting, to, to be trying to, uh, you know, attach themselves to, to, be tr- to get in the middle of it because she lived on money and the desire for money. This whole, you know, Uranium One deal was a massive corruption on their part. And so 
this is a whole other aspect. They're talking, they're using it, the, go, the 10 ghost story spies, but these are 10 Russian spies who ended up being sent back. And all that, so back to the original guy I was talking about in the opening segment, the gentleman who was running the um, Rosatom, the, the American version, which I think was Tenem, I don't have it in front of me, Tenem, I think it was. Um, he got, he did finally get prosecuted. The other, as I mentioned earlier, Beside that he got prosecuted for like nothing when he could have been um, under indictment for a very serious offense carrying many, many years in prison. Instead, he got basically um, almost nothing in terms of a charge. And um, the other thing that was really telling about it is that the FBI, contrary to what often occurs in high profile cases, it was practically, it was an announcement, you know, sneaked out uh, in a couple of days before Labor Day, no big announcement. Oh, by the way, we indicted this guy. Not the kind of thing you would do when you were really trying to expose and, and um, punish someone. It was just, it was exposed to the public um, in a way that was just minimizing its importance. And I raise all this to say that We've been treated to, in this country, ever since President Trump won his election, just hysterical headlines and storylines and CNN breathlessly, you know, reporting every possible way in which somehow or another possibly maybe Donald Trump did something related to the Russians. And and every idiotic story ends up with a dead end because there's nothing to it. But what's so, so vital to understand is what this story is telling us. This is why. This is why. The Democrats, the Democrat media mob in Washington had to come up with something because this story that we're talking about tonight, this story of Hillary taking money uh, in in exchange for her, uh, you know, giving the Russians 20 percent control over 20 percent of America's uranium assets, taking millions of dollars in the Clinton Foundation, which is pretty much her personal piggy bank, her and her husband's personal piggy bank. Lots of stories revealed how very little of the money donated to the Clinton Foundation ever actually went to the causes they claim to be standing up for. And and then her husband gets half a million dollars in speaking fees. All of this story is really the level of corruption. I'm going to tell you, I always say I'll tell you why it matters to you. This is the kind of third world thug government conduct that cannot go unpunished. And we do not have a GOP in Washington necessarily that wants to dig in and go after Hillary Clinton. It's up to us the voters to tell them. We expect you to figure out what happened. And if they deserve to be indicted, get them indicted. Okay, we're out of time in this segment. Come back in the second hour. <laughs> 